Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, everyone. Jeremy Scheinwald here with another episode of the Smart People Should Build Things Adventure for America podcast. We have a treat today. We welcome Eric Schrader to the podcast. You've heard his name before. He is a great friend of the podcast, and he is the founder of Venwise, a community of high-growth startups. Venwise convenes C-level executives in pods of 6 to 10 members, and on a monthly basis, they share their best practices and even their learnings from their missteps. Venwise client roster is basically a who's who of the startup world. WeWork, Betterment, Handy, Managed by Q, and more. We're talking about companies that have raised $3.9 billion collectively and employ 9,000 people globally. Eric has been instrumental in keeping our podcast going because he sent so many of his members to us. If you enjoyed learning about Handshake, Splash, Sail Through, Greenhouse, and more, their CEOs have all come via Eric and have been or are Venwise members. On a personal note, Eric is a close friend of mine, and um, his entire family were very close friends, including my daughter Maya and his son Sully. You could not find two closer three-year-olds. So Eric gets to get together with me on a regular basis and listen to me gripe about business. Most people have to pay to be members of Venwise. I don't. I get to complain to Eric for free. You won't find a better friend of the entrepreneur than Eric Schrader. Seriously, if you are a, uh, a startup entrepreneur, check out Venwise. Um, I know many of the members, and I know how much Venwise has helped them to navigate their own challenges. Before we get to Eric, a word about why we are here. Venture for America is a fellowship program for enterprising recent college graduates who launch their careers as entrepreneurs and thus help revitalize America's cities. After five weeks of training, VFA fellows spend two years in the trenches of a startup in an emerging U.S. city where they learn how to contribute to a high-growth business. Afterwards, VFA provides the mentorship, network, and resources fellows need to become entrepreneurs. To learn more about Venture for America and to support our work, you can visit VentureForAmerica.org. A little bit about me, I launched the Mission Driven Group many moons ago. Check out my firm at MissionDrivenGroup.com. And please remember to like our show on iTunes and to subscribe as well. And follow me on Twitter at Jeremy Scheinwald. And if you ever have any uh, need for any advice from me, if I can be of any assistance, by all means, just reach out. Someone reached out to me today. I got back to her within 10 minutes. Quick word before we start the show. Uh, support for Smart People Should Build Things is brought to you by Wix.com. A great web presence is essential to running a successful business. If you have a new idea or just need to upgrade your website, check out Wix.com. No matter what business you're in, you can get your site live today. Wix has something for everyone, with hundreds of designer-made, customizable templates to choose from. Not a coder? No problem. You don't need to be a programmer or a designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. Used by more than 77 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your, your website live today. You need to get that word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website. After the stunning website, you grow, you get venture back funding, you join VanWise. The best part about Wix, it's free. You can go to Wix.com and sign up for an entirely free account today. No credit card required. It's easy, and the result is stunning. Go to Wix.com today. 
And now, here is our interview with my dear friend, Eric Schrader. Welcome to Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Building things can be really hard, and entrepreneurship is often portrayed in the media as the sexy or even worse, easy career path. Through this series, we plan to pull back the curtain and tell the gritty stories of entrepreneurship. We're striving to create a relaxed environment where entrepreneurs feel free to tell their stories. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. Eric, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Jack. Good to be here. And thanks for taking the subway up with me and having lunch with me and coffee beforehand. Um, thanks for paying for me. Yeah. Appreciate it. He pays people. You should come on to his podcast. It's <laughs> true. I'm willing to buy lunch for anyone who's on the podcast. Um, so I know a little bit of the family history of, of the Schraders, a multi-generational uh, family department store under the family name in Montreal. Um, one that, that youngsters could relate to. I imagine that, uh, that when you were in school, kids would say, like, I shopped at your family store. Uh, maybe people still say that. Was the store just, like, completely embedded into the Schrader family? Was it everything you ate, uh, drank at home? Um, you know, was, was, was business life and life business? Yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, it was it was definitely a well known entity to a lot of my friends, and and you know it was it was the camp shop basically. Where if you went to summer camp, you went to Schrader's to buy all your stuff. And I heard I heard lots uh, lots of friends coming up to me and, and talking about the business. But but truthfully, my dad was really good about you know family time and business time. And you know I guess later on in life, as I started to think more about business, he he got me more involved, and, and I was able to talk to him more about the business. But from you know in childhood i do remember having really distinct you know dad work dad and and fun dad and and uh and so uh yeah i mean it was it was definitely part of our lives my uncle worked in the business my grandfather worked in the business we always had friday night dinner and so it was part of our our family but i'm not sure that i think my dad did a good job i learned a lot from him on that so you weren't like the eight-year-old stock boy or the 12-year-old cashier no, I wouldn't say that. My dad definitely believed in having the boys work in the store. I have two brothers, and we, we all worked in the store, and one of my brothers still works there. I just, you know, I think home life and work life was different. That being said, on Saturdays, <clears throat> as long as I can remember, I was, I was working in the store, and, you know, we didn't get to start at the cash. We had to start, you know, uh, I think my first job at the store was either stock room or, or fitting shoes onto, you know, different people's feet, and... uh that can be fun sometimes, and sometimes it's not awesome. That's good values. Growing up, uh, learning the learning the value of hard work. So retail is like notoriously difficult. I, I actually, <clears throat> I actually invest in in, uh, in a retailer that went belly up pretty quickly. Um, you know, I know you well. I can say that uh, that you're among the most level-headed, reasonable people I've ever met. Did did any of the does any of your your mentality or your level-headed nature come from you know any of the volatility that's just inherent to, to retail? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think watching. I, I think it's twofold. If you know people who know me well know my dad fairly well, and <clears throat> a lot of my my level headedness or uh, you know my ability to sort of say even keel, my dad's very much the same way, and so I learned a lot watching him. But specifically in business, yeah, retail is not easy. Um, you know, uh, especially in Canada in the '80s when Walmart and some of the big box stores started coming up, I can I can remember having you know the ups and downs and watching my dad go through those ups and downs of the store and and. Uh, you know, keeping sort of a level head was a big part of, I think, why the store still is around today. It's 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 a big part of the family and, and how the business survived. Um, but I, I definitely can can look at my business today and, and the ups and downs we go through and relate it back to, uh, you know, sort of the scrappiness. And people talk about scrappy in startups. The scrappiness the store and, and my dad, my uncle in particular, had to go through as, as the business changed. Uh, I definitely learned a lot from that. And so, 
Yeah, I suppose I, that's a yes to your answer. Question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not just an entrepreneur. You're, you know, you're an advisor to many entrepreneurs, including me. Um, uh, you know, like obviously it's in your blood, and you've got a talent for it. Did you give any thought to being the next generation of Schrader to, to traders to take over Schrader's? Oh, that was always the plan. Uh, for as far back as I can remember, the, the thinking was, you know, three the three boys from this family, and then maybe my cousins on the other side would would all go into the store at some point, or at least be involved. But you know, things happen. I I, I left school, and and another opportunity. Uh, I, I should go back and say that leaving school, my dad was always pretty adamant that I go cut my teeth in other businesses first and learn the business world before coming back to store if I wanted to, and that was. Obviously, phenomenal advice, but you know, opportunities came along that sort of took me down a different path. But uh, you know, in in high school and I, I guess even early on in college, the, the plan was always to be in the family business. I, I didn't know any other way. Was you, you think your, was your dad at all disappointed that uh, that you end up starting down that path and never coming back? Does he uh, does he rib you about it at all and say like, oh, you know, you should be you should really be in Montreal right now? <laughs> I don't think so. I think I think if you asked my mom, she'd like us to be still in Montreal. But but uh, and, and my dad, of course, too. But I think from a business perspective, he saw what we were working on and, and you know the opportunity I had leaving school in Montreal uh, at Isaacs, which was the first my first job out of school, my first real job out of school. Uh, was real and it was good and I learned a ton in that business and I think my dad watched that journey and uh, was supportive. So I've always been involved in the store at a high level but but uh, and I've never forgotten that business but I think it's uh, the path the path was what it was at uh, leaving school and it made a lot of sense for me to follow that path. Uh, on this podcast we don't say mom we say mom. This oh. is, yeah, you know, it may come out a couple times. I'm yeah. trying to weed out the uh, Canadianisms in my, uh, <laughs> my vocabulary. My team's listening to this and laughing <laughs> as we speak. <laughs> Uh, okay, so, so I mean, you're, we're already alluding to this. You started your career in the tech space with Isaacs. Um, I mean, tell us a little bit about Isaacs as well. Um, but you started as an account executive and ultimately rose over a decade to become the firm's second in command. Um, you called Isaacs your MBA. What did what did you learn that was so profound at Isaacs? I, I learned everything. I think uh, you know, leaving school, I wanted to find a business that I believed in that I thought could teach me a lot. Um, I knew I was I was likely never going to work for a big company with a lot of red tape. That was always fairly clear. Uh, and when I met Steve, the CEO uh, and president of of Isaacs back uh, in 2002, it was um, it was a business that was just trying to figure out what it really wanted to be, and it was a great opportunity for me to get involved. Uh, and then and then over the years, uh, Steve uh, became and still is a mentor to me, and and I got the opportunity working with him to play a bunch of different roles and wear a bunch of different hats. And so, yeah, I started as an account executive, but it was pretty quick in terms of I had options to work on the most strategic accounts we had, think about product development, think about technology development. Uh, I got involved in some of the accounting and some of the marketing, and, and we, were, we were running like a small business. We were, we were a small startup. And so I touched many different things, and, and it was, um, I call it my MBA because it built two things for me, skill sets in areas I didn't already have. Uh, I, had, I was forced to work on the job on a number of different things, and also the network. You know, we, we serviced and worked with a lot of the Fortune 50s in Canada, and, and I knew a lot of people after leaving Isaacs, and it was it was super helpful for me. So, yeah, that's why I call it my MBA, and, and I look back at that time with, it, it was probably one of the two most formative times in my life in terms of business. So just give us a little background on what, what Isaacs was, and, and you, you opened a couple offices like in other areas, right? Yeah, we, so, so Isaacs, like I'm thinking England, right? You went to England to start the Isaacs office, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so Isaacs, uh, the business was um, at a very high level. We built sales organizations for 
large the large Fortune 500s. We worked with a ton of the pharmaceutical industry as well as you know banking sector and some others. And, and uh, it was it was both a consulting business where we built sales process into the organization, things like coaching, leadership, activity management, and, and then sort of the Isaacs division put in technology behind that consulting to to sort of reinforce the process. Um, and so it was a SaaS business, you know, for, from a technology perspective, it was, we hosted our own servers, but it was very much akin to the SaaS, the B2B SaaS businesses of today, where we sold license fees on a monthly basis. Um, we, we grew the business and, 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 uh, it was a fun 10 years and, and we had the opportunity to open up two different offices. Uh, one in England, we, we, we made a small acquisition and I had the opportunity to go over to England and set up the business there and, and, and learned a ton there as well, international business and being by myself for the first time running a division of the company was, uh, it, it was, I, I learned a ton. Uh, and there was also an office in New York. We did a ton of business as well across the border in, or in New York City. And, and uh, uh, by the time I got back from England, the office was already set up and I just came over here and, and helped to, to transition it. So ultimately, <clears throat> you leave Isaacs. You're what, 33 years old that time when you leave? About that? About that, yeah. And you're married to your lovely, your lovely wife, Nat, who I'm sure that she's finally listening to the podcast today because you're on it. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully. And, uh, you know, and, and she's going back to social work uh, to, to get a, a master's in social work at the time. You know, you're starting a business. You have a family on the horizon at the time. Like, this is, this is a, a crazy amount of risk, you know, um, relative to you. Like, I started my business. I was a single guy, you know. I you know, had, was only answerable, answerable to myself. Like, I'm not sure I would have the guts to quite do it like that. It's, 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 it's crazy, and obviously it's, it's worked out quite well. But what, what made you feel like that was the time to take the risk and to start something on your own? And then I'm going to follow up again because I don't want to ask a 10-minute question. <laughs> uh, I, I think, I, I don't think it was about the risk. I think it was what I always wanted to do. And uh, Natalie and I have also, I've always talked about the fact that um, we're going to build the life that we want to build. And, uh, you know, Isaacs, I'll, I'll never forget when I started that uh, that job, it was always in my mind a two-year project. It was go out, learn a little bit, cut my teeth. If, if I go back to the family business, great. If not, there'll be some other, you know, entrepreneurial venture I'll go after. And, and so the entrepreneurship gene was sort of embedded uh, for as long as I can remember. And so uh, when it was time to transition out of Isaacs, it was always going to be something that I started myself. It was just a matter of what it was going to be. And uh, Nat, we, we say it, Natalie and I say it all the time, we took all of our chips and, we, you know, Natalie had to go back to school to get a master's. Uh, and so we, we said, let's just do it. Go back and get your master's. I'll start the business. We'll put all of our financial chips into into this stage of our lives and, and, and see if we can make good of it. And, and so it, it's been one of the more challenging times of our lives uh, in terms of just living in New York City and, and all the expenses that come along with that and, and starting a company and going back to school for a couple of years. I mean, it, it's been, if I look back, I think we're, I still think we're a little nuts for doing it. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I think that if, you know, I, people ask all the time about entrepreneurship, I think that it's just in you or it's not. And, and risk taking isn't something you evaluate uh, in terms of something you're going to do or not going to do. It's, you're just going to do it. And sometimes you have to make rational decisions around can you afford to or not, and clearly those are decision-making factors, but um, it was never a question for me. It was just a matter of how I was going to do it, and uh, that was four years ago, and here we are today, so. And I mean, the way you're talking about it, it sounds like it was, it was very much, like I think we think of the entrepreneur as, as like the lone wolf who just has this idea and is just so focused and is gonna go out and do this, but it seems like in your home it was very much a team decision. You know, you, you, 
you and, and Nat, who it's weird for me to be talking about her on the on the on the podcast here. She's such a good friend. But I mean, you guys really just like sat down and said, like together as a team, you know, we both support this idea. We're going to do this, and we're we're a hundred percent behind it. Oh yeah, we have we have three kids. We've got two, you know, Sully and Reagan, <laughs> but we also have uh, Venwise, and and I think that uh, if without her support, this would never have happened. Uh, it couldn't have happened. So it's very much a team decision, and. and uh, uh, she was a big part of me making that back, you know, that call back in the day. What's interesting at Venwise, which uh, you know, I've I've really I've known you for just into like the the Venwise years. I didn't really know this until I started doing the research for the podcast, chatting with you about these things. But it wasn't it wasn't the first idea. So you were testing other ideas um, before that. So you kind of you left Isaacs with nothing that certain, right? Like it was like I'm going to develop one of these ideas I have. I mean, tell us about that process. Yeah, I, I think leaving Isaacs was a timely thing. I think it was it was the right time to do that. And, and uh, I had a number of ideas and, and even, even a number of different partners I was talking to different ideas about, just, just family and friends and other folks that I thought there were opportunities to work on different ideas. And, and a few of those ideas were... Were, were real and, and so I started to talk to a number of different areas of people about it and, and you know the idea of Venwise came about because of um, just having a number of different conversations with, with entrepreneurs and glad to go into that story but but the, uh, the it was not the first idea um, I could say that the the notion of a peer group which is the, the model this was based off of isn't novel it's been around for a long time I was a member of something similar up in Montreal and so I was familiar with it I just knew there was an opportunity to to build something similar for the group of folks I was meeting with as I was thinking about these different business ideas. And so it became ultimately a side project at the beginning. In terms of your personal risk, which I'm, I'm, I'm you know, infatuated with, I guess, you've got the, you know, you leave Isaacs, I mean, you go through this process of testing other ideas. How long does it take you to determine that, hey, maybe those aren't the ideas that, that you want to go with and that Venwise is the one? How much time elapses between that? A while. A while it was uh, so so uh, the ideas these other ideas we're talking about all required some level of investment I couldn't do it by myself and I needed money to do it and it was likely all technology based and you know the venture capital world in New York was something that was newer to me uh, and so um, the the way that I, I went about this Venmo the Venmo story was uh, to, in order to raise more money, I wanted to understand what it was like to operate a business that had raised money. I had never done that before. And so it was in a bunch of meetings with a number of different investors, uh, potential investors and other uh, operating CEOs, early stage, Series A, Series B back CEOs that I understood there was an opportunity for Venwise. And so the first Venwise pod uh, was curated based on a bunch of different meetings I had initially. Um, and uh, that, that's how it got started. Um, and it was a side project probably for six months until I realized Venwise was real and understood that was probably a better opportunity for me to go pursue considering family was on the horizon than going out to raise venture capital money and taking that risk. So what tells you Venwise is for real? One of the first lessons I learned at Isaacs was if you could take a consulting business and put recurring revenue under it, that's a fairly powerful business model. And so uh, when I started to understand what Venwise could do from a business model perspective, I understood that um, it looks a lot like a SaaS business. It's monthly member fees. And I understood that it was um, uh, it was one of those things where there was very little capital required to start it. In fact, we never raised capital at all. And um, a recurring revenue service business with very little inventory, if no inventory, and very little co you know, operating expenses was, a, was a, a business model I was looking 
that could that could sustain itself and so that's how it started and that, that that was sort of the moment for me that that the business model could sustain itself and it was something i should go pursue um the, the next step though the business model was interesting to me but what was what was more interesting to me was the opportunity i saw i saw the effect we were having on a lot of the different organizations that we were touching and that for me that that was sort of that scratched the entrepreneurial spirit i was looking for that that gave me the uh, the mission behind the vi- the business that I understood and, and wanted to go pursue. Well, let me back up for one second. I mean, what what you know? We talked talked about this like in terms of your own. I think people think about these. You know, the 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 CEO of the startup as as being this like, you know, singularly determined lone wolf, and it very much plays against type. You know, when we think about what you know, the venture backed entrepreneur wanting a peer group, and um, you know, people with. I mean, the the, the membership is insane. Uh, people. Companies with valuations in the hundreds of millions, if not the billions, at this point, um, you know, or a couple with billions, yeah. And uh, in, at Benwise, I mean, how, how did you know that these CEOs wanted support? So it was in those first few meetings. So I, I meet, you know, there, there's a couple of fairly influential CEOs in New York City, the, the Venwise members that, that have helped me, that helped get this thing off the ground. But but when you meet a lot of early stage folks, you get a you get to learn a lot about the venture capital community. You get to le- you get to learn a lot about how they're operating within it. And and so for me, uh, when I started to ask them more questions, there there were really two aha moments that came across to me. The, the first was. When you raise venture capital money, regardless of your network prior, uh, the right VC will give you access to a ton of resources and a ton of network, which is which is part of the advantage of raising venture capital money in this market. You, you, aside from the capital itself, you get access to people. You get access to resources. They'll help you hire your team in some cases. Um, and so what was interesting to me was uh, that, w- that was a lot of the folks I was talking to were, were really well connected and they were really well resourced. Um, but they still desired a safe place to have a real conversation about their business prior to having to go to their boards and talk about it. So when they were dealing with things that weren't public information, uh, it was really hard for them to find a place to go have that conversation. And um, and so the, the, idea of, the, the idea for me was, how do you create a safe place for these folks? And the advice that I was given when I was starting a company was, can you go find one or two people that understand your business and you can truly trust Take those people for coffee all the time because if you're going to be successful as an entrepreneur, you need those folks in your lives. And so the idea for Venwise was, can I build that for them? A lot of these people were just, were looking for it, and you know, I'll, maybe I'll skip ahead a second. But the way we curated that first Venwise group was, I was looking for that myself. If I was going to go raise money, I wanted to find my safe place to have the real conversation. And much of my family and many of my friends weren't in that space yet. They weren't growing high growth technology companies, and so I needed to go build my own safe place. And so we curated that first group of six to eight CEOs. Uh, the, the way we thought of it was, how can we take friends who already know each other, who already go for dinner, who already are, are members of the same VC portfolio and likely see each other once a quarter at their CEO summit, how can we take those people and get them into the same room and deepen those relationships? And that was how Venwise came to be. It was, it was less about meeting new people and building community. It was, can we deepen the relationships we already have so we can, we can talk about the real stuff under the surface in the business? A new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Smart People Should Build Things, the Venture for America podcast. We're, you know, we're talking about getting that first that first group going. 
and it's so intensely personal, uh, you know, at the beginning of something like this, where you're kind of sure it's Venwise, but it's just you at the beginning, and and you're very much selling yourself. You know, I imagine that there were people who said no. Maybe you heard a bunch of no's. That's the way it goes. Um, you know, it had been pretty tough. Like, did, did you take any of that personally? Were you able to just brush it off and just get going and 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 go out there and get your? First, I mean, clearly you were able to get that first pod. But you know, I mean, how was it emotionally dealing with the, that getting that first pod going? You know, it, 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 because it was I, I viewed it as potentially a side project. It, I wasn't as um, I, I likely wasn't as strategic in all the conversations I was having. I was talking to people about this idea of building this group, and, and the people said who the people who told me they weren't interested. Okay, move on to the next. I'm going right. to build a group of folks who want to be there and want to be there for the right reasons. And if I can't find that group, then then maybe I have to change my 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 path. But ultimately, the entrepreneurship community is fairly strong here, and we all know each other. And so, when I built that first group, um, the folks who said no to us didn't say no because they didn't understand what it was. They just didn't think we can build it. And once we built it, they came back and, and have joined on since. So it sounds like the first pod just kind of like coalesced, just sort of <laughs> sort of emerged as opposed to like, you know, just was created. It, it was from that perspective. I think, you know, a lot of the guys in the first pod, uh, they came from the same network. Um, so so I should give, you know, a shout out to Mark Davis. Mark, Mark Peter Davis was a CEO at the time running a startup company, and he was the first guy that believed I could do this. And he was the first one who said yes. And, it, and he, he's become an advisor since, and, and, and we still remain friends. We're, we're very close friends. And, and um, it was off the back of his network that we built that first pod. He made, a, he made many of the introductions that led to that first pod coming together. Uh, at the end of the day, a lot of those introductions were, were to the, some of those folks who said no, but but that first pod was made up of guys who are still good friends today, but they were built off the back of, of Mark's network for the most part. So t- tell us about that first group. You know, who were the first entrepreneurs who signed on? Can you talk about their bonds to the to their pods and and to Venwise itself? Yeah, that that first group is uh, uh, it's they're near and dear to my heart for lots of reasons, and and we still remain friends. And and, and uh, up until very recently, that group was still meeting. Um, and we don't meet any longer just just because lives have changed, roles have changed, people have moved away. But you know, if, if you want a list of them, uh, Andrew Toy was one of the first guys who signed on. He's, he's a comp- CEO of a company called Enterproid. Uh, Kevin Prentice at Red Rover, Irving Fain at CrowdTwist at the time, and now he's moved on to a new business. Uh, Wiley Cerulli at Single Platform, and, and they've since sold and moved on their business. Indeed, Wiley, you know, you sent our way. We had a great chat with Wiley. Uh, it depends when this airs, but probably about three weeks ago or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dane Atkinson at Dane Summall. Dane was on the show, too. There we go. Beautiful. Paul Golash, Oren Harnevo, Neil Capel. Neil through. Capel. There we go. Three, we got three out of, what is, how many is that? Seven there? Three of seven have been guests on the show because of you. All, all, all Eric intros there. Um, <laughs> we'll see if the rest want to come on. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so... Um, so you're clearly like nostalgic about about that group, and it's interesting that group. You know, I I forget that those groups can kind of evolve; they can coalesce and become, and then also, you know, they can just slowly. I don't want to use the word disintegrate because it sounds negative, but they can just slowly come apart because because people are in different stages and doing different things. I think these. So I, you know people who want to know more about Venwise, when they ask us questions about how we curate these groups, and, and you know, we look for a lot of different factors as we think about who should sit around the same table. So um, there are times where we'll tell a group, 
we don't think this is working the way it should work based on our experience with other pods. And so we'll break that group up. The first group happened to have lasted for a long time, and, and many of the groups that we run do last for many years. But, but there are pods that get together, and they just don't work. And so it's our job. You know, we're not looking to just build groups for the sake of building groups. The dynamic and the conversation we're looking for is transparency, and we're looking for confidentiality on that table. And the real conversations these guys look, these, these entrepreneurs are looking to have with each other. And so um, there have been multiple occasions where we've told a pod that it's not working the way it should. We're going to re, we're going to reassess, and we're going to we're going to think about rebuilding different groups with the same people involved. And we've never had anyone leave as a result of that in terms of leave our membership, but it makes the most sense when you're thinking about what these groups really should be. And, and there are people who, because uh, I know because I know I've had these conversations with you where you're like, do you know this guy? Do you think he's right for us? I mean, you're really carefully evaluating these people, and there, and there are people you're saying no to, like you're just not the right person for us. I mean, that's got to be, as you're growing a business, it's, 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 even though it obviously makes long-term sense, it's still got to break your heart a little bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that <clears throat> we're not exclusive. I tell people all the time, if they think we're an exclusive secret society, that's not where we're trying to be. Um, and so people, if you're the right fit and you're working on a business that fits within our community, then you are right for Benwise. Um, the people who aren't a fit are the people who, and, and this is rare, but but if you're going to join Venwise, you're going to join and make two, two real big commitments. The first is you're going to show up. You're going to make a commitment of being there. But you're also going to make a commitment of opening up and having a real conversation with people. This isn't about meeting new people. This isn't about getting access to other potential partners and clients. There's lots of places to go do that. This is about a real conversation. And it doesn't take long to figure out who's there for the right reasons. Uh, most people are there for the right reasons, but every now and then, if we don't figure it out early enough, we'll ask that person to leave. Or, or if hopefully if our curation process, work, pr process works well enough, uh, we won't invite them in in the first place. But that happens rarely. There are very few people who get, we get a no from or, or get a no from us. Let's talk about growth. Like you have that first pod going, and then how soon after is it two, three, four pods um, where you're like, yeah, this thing's actually, this thing's working? Yeah, so so you asked earlier about side project versus like when does this become real? I, right. I think it becomes real when there's enough volume where it makes sense. I could pay my bills, and you know Natalie won't you know yell at me for not being able to pay our bills. But beyond that, it, it was you know that first group went well. We, we we built the bond we were thinking to build, and and once we had that, it was a referral based business for a while, right? They, you know, it didn't take long for for me to be moderating five different groups. I, I should say that the moderation was big, right? So I think. Venwise's role in all these around all these tables is structure, and so we're going to manage the focus and flow of these conversations, so that, so that we own the, the conversation, not the the members themselves. Um, and so I I was moderating that first group, and then before I knew it, they referred in some friends. I think the first referral group was a CTO group. A lot of them said our CTO excuse a similar experience, and then before I knew it, I was running five groups. And so it was those five groups. There's three CEO groups and two CTO groups, pretty early on in the business that. That was sort of when the ball dropped for me um, in terms of the business model was working. But beyond that, um, I, I was the only one of the 30, 40 members we had who had the privileged seat. I got to partake in all five of those conversations. They had access to only the conversation they were a part of. And so I got to see all the trends. I got to see all the, the intimate details of all these businesses. It wasn't before long that I realized that that was a real resource, not only for me, but for them. And so I got lots of questions from members and, and uh, other folks about very intimate conversations. Hey, we're 
dealing with this type of term sheet, no one else who's dealt with this before, or I could see a potential lawsuit coming down, I'd like to prepare before I have to go to my board with it. And so I was able to make those connections based on the knowledge I had of all of our members. And so that was when the ball dropped for me. It was, this is a real business, but beyond it being a real business, the opportunity is less about these small peer groups. It's more about, can I take this peer experience we've built and make it a resource for everyone's companies? And so, so Venwise today, you know, I ask people ask all the time what we're trying to be. Uh, we're trying to be a resource for your company. And so we actually offer five different services. Uh, we can go into that later if you'd like, but we offer five different services for our membership fee where different members of your company can partake in peer experiences to learn from folks in the same roles or in similar roles in different companies, not just the C-level executives in these, these monthly pods. We're talking with Eric Schrader here, founder of Venwise, and Eric is an advisor to many entrepreneurs, and everyone knows that entrepreneurs and small business, small business owners need good websites to get their businesses off the ground. Customers rely on the information they can find about your business on the internet to decide if they're going to use a product or service. Millions of entrepreneurs create their own professional websites using Wix.com, and the results are stunning. Wix gives you access to hundreds of customizable templates and easy drag-and-drop tools. You can get up and running today. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. You can go to Wix.com and sign up for an entirely free account today. No credit card required. That's W-I-X.com. Okay, so we're talking about the services that um, that Venwise um, provides. I, I, maybe I didn't. I, yeah, tell us about the, <laughs> about the five different services because I'm not sure I could count the five off the top of my head. So probably good context. Maybe <laughs> I should have mentioned those in the intro. Yeah, I, I actually think that the focus when someone joins Venwise should be the pod, right? I think that's where the most the, the majority of the value folks derive from from Venwise is from the, the monthly meetings the C levels get involved in. Uh, that being said, because we can identify trends, because we can see all these things across the network. Uh, an example would be uh, new services that Amazon Web Services are releasing, or um, and we'll hear a lot about those being discussed in the pods, or, or another trendy topic like something like venture debt was 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 is still a very popular topic, but a couple of years ago it was much more popular in terms of it was new to a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, a lot of those topics are, are they come up in pods and we see them recur, and, and and we think to ourselves, can we actually get the companies to benefit from some of these conversations? And so we'll create a three-hour face-to-face conversation, a structured pod-like summit, we call them, um, for the experts in each company specific to a topic. So if we're going to pick up Amazon Web Services and it's, it's the DevOps or the technology folks in the company who are responsible or own that within the company, those are the people that should be around that table. And so we'll invite member companies or we'll ask member companies if they're interested in partic- participating in that topic to sit around that table with us. And so uh, the, for them to anoint the, the owner in that business to sit around the table with us. And so um, we'll do that in a number of different formats. We have you know, a concierge service where people can ask us questions and we'll get the answer for them. We do a big yearly dinner for all of our members that's heav- heavily structured in terms of how it's, you know, we tell people where they're going to sit. We tell people uh, uh, the, the, the folks who speak are other members who have gone through some big event. Um, all of the, of the four additional services, um, three of them are available to anybody else in the organization. And that's sort of the focus for us, is how can we keep building services that work for everyone else in, in, in the business? So you're leading five groups, and clearly something's got to give. I mean, you know, I, I don't know how many 
pods one man can handle, but obviously there are some limitations at a certain point. And, you know, you got to grow beyond you being the brand. And that's a, that's a big leap for a lot of entrepreneurs. And I, I remember myself, like, sort of the first couple of times where I was giving clients to other people and wasn't, wasn't managing them myself. And it was, there was a lot of anxiety, even though I hired great people. Um, so, you know, how did you, how did you make that transition? Was it something that, again, I mentioned how cool you can be, you know, was it something that, that you had anxiety around? Um, how did you know that you had the right people to, to serve these precious members when everything's so fragile? Uh, yeah, you learn a lot on the, on the go, right? I think, so the, the decision to, uh, the decision to um, expand beyond, you know, add additional, you know, leaders. We call them leaders in, in Venwise to to the roster was an easy decision to make from a business perspective. I went to the scale of the business, um, but it was how do you select those folks? And and uh, we've made very few mistakes. Luckily, there are things you look for, um, but I, I was looking for personality type. I was looking for their current role. Uh, they they mo- every one of our leaders are are currently. Uh, contractors or service providers to the ecosystem, whether they're coaches or uh, consultants or folks who work with these C-level executives. And so the most important thing for Eventwise leaders, they have credibility in the room. People look to them as a credible leader and moderator. Uh, and also that they are, uh, they can read the room. You know, there's, there's, there's a high level of EQ required to do this properly. And so those are the two big areas that we look for. And there's you know there's another kind of growth which is isn't just growth in, in leaders but there's you know there's geographic growth. I mean is there a, is there a, a, a right time to to expand to a Boston to a Chicago? Um, you know when does when does the footprint start to expand and why? Um, so we've grown outside of New York primarily. Initially, it started because members took us right. We had, we had a member who took us up to Boston and actually led the Venwise initiative in Boston for a while and still still is very much involved in, in a leader capacity. Um, uh, the Chicago opportunity came because uh, we had referrals come in and we saw an opportunity in the market and we decided to go that way. I, I think there, there's definitely the, the ambition is to grow this into a number of different cities, but it's not not just to grow it. You know, we don't have we don't have a checklist of cities we want to grow into, although I have my idea of where I think this works best. Um, this is about doing the right thing. This business can't scale too quickly. Um, we are really, really careful to not dilute the value proposition. And we know what we represent to our current members. We hear it, we know it, we're very close to our, our current clients. Um, and so it's really important for me that as we think about growth, that we do it for all the right reasons. Um, just an example, one of our members is, is making a move to Israel. And so we're, we're seriously taking a look at is the right opportunity for him to lead the initiative for us in Tel Aviv. Uh, and, and we'll do that before we do places like Los Angeles potentially. And so, um, you know, we, we just want to grow this for the right reasons. And, and it's a service business. And we're going to be really, really careful about making sure folks get the right value from us if we're going to open up in the city. So you're working with ultra high growth companies, you know, brand name firms. You've been at this for, for, for years now for, you know, you've got so many brand names like you know uh, under the under the Venwise hood uh, you know but and you, you've just seen so much uh, all in <laughs> such a short period of time what are the you know what are some of the some of the mistakes what are the classic mistakes that that venture back companies make can you can you categorize them are there are there a few that that you see people make over and over again there's tons i mean we're all if you think about venture backed high growth technology companies 
the majority of, of the folks who have the ideas are either first timers or they they're doing they're in this market for the first time, and so yeah, there there are a ton of recurring. I think, you know, uh, Venwi started four years ago. You know, the first two and a half three years of of our business, we saw a lot of venture capital money flowing. It was easy to raise a Series A. A lot of folks are getting invested uh, invested in. And raising capital, and, and uh, you know, one of the one of the things that most people don't think about was a lot of that early stage money was good, but the valuations weren't right, and a lot of these companies are having trouble in the Series B and Series C stages, in in catching up to their valuations, and so one of the mistakes I see now we're seeing a lot of is a lot of the early stage Series A folks two three years ago who raised at big valuations for what they what the business were, were really worth. Uh, are having trouble catching up at the moment. And so that's just something I, I'm watching that happen in front of our eyes. And, and we're trying to be helpful, and, and, and uh, there's lots of ways to do it. But that's one example of, of early-stage folks who don't have a ton of experience raising capital, raising probably too much of it, or, or, or you know, the valuations were just higher than they should have been. And, and it makes it harder down the road. So conversely, aside from financing, what do the best ones get right? I think people. You know, I think, I think that... Uh, the more the most successful CEOs I know are the best. They they, they they know what they're good at and they know what they're not great at, and they'll they'll surround themselves with an executive team that make up for those gaps. And conversely, the culture and the and the focus on talent in their businesses is one of their top priorities. You know, everyone talks about the CEO role being you know keeping money in the bank and working on the team. I think working on that team is 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 right there. If 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 you have the right team and the right talent. <coughs> Um, you're already a step above the folks who can't do that. And so that's a big part of, I think, the, fo- the, the most successful CEOs I know, talent was always a big part of their business. So here we are, four years in, and, uh, you know, leaders in, we got Chicago, um, you know, Boston, a couple in Boston. Um, you know, we got a, this growing footprint, you know, New York, very, very, very strong. What... You know, you're in most of the major hubs already. What does the future hold for Venwise? We have a mission to be the premier resource to high-growth technology companies. That's what we want to be. We want to take this. We want to be. We want to take this peer experience we've created, and make that a resource for the companies. And we're going to work. Everything we do will be based off of that. That includes geographies. What, what are the right geographies and the right markets to include? How can we get content sharing at a premium? How can we drive a ton of resources for the other folks, the, the non-C-level executives, managers, and employees at all these organizations? That's what we want to be. Uh, and so if you look at us in five years from now, we're going to have likely more services. We're going to offer more to the current membership. We're going to be in a number of different cities. Uh, and, and the membership is going to be a strong uh, community around sharing and, and, and sort of learning from each other's best practices and, and, and lessons learned. Um, hopefully we'll be global, but the community will take us there. I'm not, I'm not, that's not part of the goal of the business. The, the, the goal of the business is to continue growing in the right way, and that's what we're going to do. Eric, my good friend, thank you for joining <laughs> us today. Thanks for sharing the, the Venwise story. Um, it's, it's been a thrill, and on a personal level, I'm glad to have this for posterity's sake. <laughs> and to any of the folks in Boston, Jeremy's going to be leading our next CEO pod in Boston, so if, you know, start signing up. Eric has uh, is, is, uh, is just pulled the curtain off. I'm moving to Boston tomorrow, but I'm coming back 
every Wednesday to record the podcast. So <laughs> if anyone's heartbroken out there right now thinking, oh my God, this is the end of the podcast, and I know there are thousands of you just you know just fell off your chair, um, the podcast must go on. Sully's already talking about it. He doesn't want you guys to leave. We have mixed feelings ourselves. We'll, we'll be back. We'll be back. Anyway, thanks so much for being here, and thanks to everyone for uh, for listening. And check out um, check out Venwise, and um, and stay tuned for more pod, for more great podcasts um, in the coming weeks, and hopefully indefinitely as well. Hopefully, hopefully in, in five years when uh, you know you just, you'll get set in five years where you want to be. I'll, we'll have uh, 250 in the can at that point for uh, for the podcast. We'll, we'll just have to see. <laughs> Hopefully, they'll be Venwise members. <laughs> I hope so. Thanks, Jack. Bye, guys. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.